Welcome to Blind Date with a Book, the podcast that sets you up with your book, Meet Cute. Today, we're doing a special bonus episode with Emmy Neatfield, whose memoir, Acceptance, is coming out this month. Emmy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We would love to hear a little bit of the book, and then we'll ask you some questions about your process and um, books that inspire you. Great. Um, this So this is about 50 pages in, um, and it takes place when I was 14 and in a residential treatment center. At our next family therapy appointment, Tammy began the conversation I'd fantasized about for the previous seven months, discharge. Emmy has two options, the family therapist Tammy said. She can go to a foster home and start the school year at a new high school. Or if we want to discharge her home, she's looking at at least another year here, assuming we work out the issues at home. I think it's obvious, I said. I should go to foster care. I knew my mom wouldn't change. Ingrid said I was too young for independent living programs. Group homes were holding pens for teenagers families wouldn't take. There were no other conceivable options. My mom looked at me. I let them take you away so that you could come home. We haven't tried to work it out at all. I've tried to work it out. I work it out all day, every day. You're the one who's not working it out. You're the one who hasn't done anything to the house. My mom looked at Tammy. You can't take her away from me. I doubted that. If my mom didn't comply, I suspected they would call Child Protective Services. I suspected my mom knew that, too. It'll be voluntary, Tammy said. You'll sign off. My mom turned back to me. If you think foster care is going to be better than living with your mother, you're wrong. I really don't want to go to foster care. Believe me, I don't. Guilt rattled me. I hated that this was being presented as my decision. What choice do I have? I've dealt with my issues. I can't sit around waiting for another year so you can deal with yours. My mother started crying. 14 is too young. It's too young for you to take my daughter away. Don't be so dramatic. I'm the one who has to go to foster care. I'm the one who's losing my daughter. Oh, come on. You're not really losing her, Tammy countered. Just think about it as a year. A year to improve your relationship. If everything goes well, she can come back home. That's not the first time I've heard that one, my mom quipped, her voice thick with disdain. After that session, my mom was seriously mad at me for the first time in my life. There was a theater of villains in her mind. My father, her first husband, her parents, Tammy, my social worker, the psychiatrist who referred my case to the county. Now I was one of them. Thank you for that. I really love that excerpt because it starts to hit upon so many of the themes that become so important in your book. And one thing that really struck me as I was reading through your memoir is how many touch points you really have and that you're juggling and weaving throughout. You know, there's obviously foster care that's brought up here and mental health and eating disorders. Um, you find out very early in the book, this isn't a spoiler, that one of the issues in the relationship with your mother is her hoarding, there's abuse. And then of course, those dreams of college later on that become the themes of sort of acceptance that you talk about. 
how did you map or sort of track those those pieces throughout? At the beginning, when I started writing the book, I didn't have any structure or sense of plot. I was just dumping my memories onto the page. And I really didn't know kind of what anything meant or have any sense of like organization about it. But as the editing process went on, I eventually stumbled on this writing guide called Blueprint Your Bestseller. A friend's mom suggested it to me and it recommended identifying the main themes in the book and literally charting them out like in colors. And so that was a way that I was able to kind of get a handle on what was happening and just make sure that readers had the information that they needed at the certain points. That is so fascinating to me because I cannot understand how anyone is able to get the distance necessary to write a memoir. And you absolutely have this this incredible balance of tone in this book where you're really incisive and just a nuanced view of these people. But it's kind of like, what a huge block of life and so many things to, to be tracking down. Are you naturally a, a diarist or a note taker? Or did you have you know, elements that you were able to pull from as you were writing down these memories? As I write about in the book, I was kind of a compulsive writer in high school. Sometimes I got in trouble with my foster parents for my quote unquote writing compulsion. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And so throughout the four years of high school, I was drawing a lot, writing in my journals. And, you know, I wish that some of that archival material was more useful than it than it proved to be. Um, but one of the most, essentially every email that I sent in high school. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So more than 10,000 messages. And I assembled them into this enormous spreadsheet that later I gave to the person who helped me fact check as best as we could. Because there's so many pieces of life where you remember the feeling, or but you don't remember what caused it or what precipitated it. And I really had like, you know, I was, it was the 2008, 2009, 2010. And so I was really conducting my life over email. So later I could be like, here's all these messages with my mom, with my social worker, with my mentor, with my psychiatrist and retrace those steps. Absolutely. Well, I could feel you pulling from a lot of that archival material later on when you're talking about your your college relationship and, you know, especially when you're talking about your Facebook messages back and forth with your parent. You know, it's it's really interesting to see the bits and pieces that you pulled in and explicitly talked about on the page, too. Um, you know, a lot of books get compared to educated, but this is the first book that I really that gave me the same kind of like shivery nervousness that reading educated did where I know that things ended up fine but I was so so concerned for your path as a young woman as you're as you're delineating all of these challenges that you went through so you know thank you for writing such a compelling memoir thank you so much for those kind words one thing that really struck me is that you have this very nuanced way of approaching these characters which could seem like sort of stock characters in your book, like purely people who were were angry at. For instance, your foster parents, when they saw that you were reading an art history book, they said it was pornography. And, you know, there were lots of moments where 
we as readers felt that disconnect and we're just like, oh, she is in the wrong hands. You know, this is not the right place for her to be. But then even by the end of the book, you you have this more nuanced and um, clear-eyed perspective on them and a, a certain amount of sympathy for them that you come to by the end of the book. And so it helps us as readers come there. You know, how do you incorporate the sketching out of people that you know so well and who you know might read this book for a memoir? How do you put those people into words that a wider audience can read? I spent a ton of time specifically writing about my foster parents. Um, so I'm really glad that you called them out. In the book, I call them Dave and Jan. They were these suburban Minnesotans who lived in a McMansion and just had very different interests and values than my mom did or I did. Going into the book, I felt a lot of anger towards them. You know, it was a really difficult time when I was in foster care with them. Um, we had so many conflicts around like ambition and whether my ambition caused my misery. My mom was a really hard person for them to deal with because she was constantly pushing their boundaries. At times, it felt like they took it out on me. So I was grappling with the question of how do you write fairly about people who failed you in certain ways, and especially while like showing their good intentions. I think for me, what it came down to was that when I was a teenager and things went wrong, the only person I had to blame was the one sitting across from me or myself. And now that I'm older, I can see some of the systems that were at play. Think about how ridiculous it is for this idea that a couple should just take in a teenager they've never met before and everything goes fine. Like, that's kind of a crazy idea. <laughs> yeah. A lot of our systems, it seems like, are based on this endless optimism for things to just mm. be okay. Uh, and you really do expose the gaps in that people's intention versus the reality of what actually happens. So let's talk a little bit about some books that you love or things that feed your spirit as you're creating and as you're just living your life. Are there other nonfiction books that you think are really interesting either on this topic or memoirs that really really uh, inspire you? Yeah, Lacey Crawford's Notes on a Silencing was one of the most influential books for me while while writing this memoir. It talks about her assault in high school and more so about how the institution covered it up and really slandered her to protect their own reputation. And I really love the way that that book reads, so much of it reads like a campus novel. And so it has this really cool perspective where it totally privileges the teenage experience while also like giving you all this information that the author could not have known at the time and only learned so much later. Um, How about uh, some novels? Do you like to read fiction? Do you like to read poetry? What are some other books that we should put on our radar? Ooh, okay. I have been really into, into reading novels lately. I just finished rereading the book NSFW by Isabel Kaplan. I have that on my shelf. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. It's about this like young woman in Hollywood who becomes an assistant and is like hoping to change the system from inside, but then finds that reality is a lot harder than that. Um, but what really made that book incredible for me was the complicated relationship that the narrator has with her mother, mm. who's this like prominent feminist attorney who does all this problematic stuff. 
Um, (laughs) And that relationship, it just felt so real and so accurate. Um, And I think there aren't enough complicated mothers in literature these days. I love that. I love a good effed up mother. That is, that's fantastic. Another novel that came out recently that was really good was um, Post Traumatic by Chantal V. Johnson. Have you heard about that one? I've seen the cover. Remind me about what that one's about. So it's the story of this young Black Latina lawyer who works in psychiatric hospitals for children. And so that part of it really resonated with me. And this character, her job is to help get kids like out of the hospital and by advocating for their rights. Um, but sh- but the narrator has a really complicated backstory with, um, you know, abuse and she's not doing so well herself. Like professionally, she's really successful, but she struggles with an eating disorder and just romantic obsessions. It totally breaks the the mold of like what is a trauma novel and is also just really funny like unexpectedly funny sort of wry exactly yeah you know on the themes of sort of unexpectedly funny and definitely messed up mother kind of have you had a chance to get your hands on counterfeit by kirsten chen no tell me about it so it's kind of like hustlers (laughs) so it's uh told from two perspectives it's about a woman who re-encounters her college best friend and um the the main character is at this point in her life where she's kind of in a little bit of a slump she's had her first child and her college best friend approaches her uh, with this scheme to sell counterfeit handbags And so it goes back and forth between the two perspectives, Uh, the first person perspective of the mother, and then a sort of third person, more distant perspective of what's going on with the best friend and more in general. And it is such an inventive uh, book. It also includes lawyers. (laughs) So the main character, Ava Wong, is is a a Chinese American lawyer. And um, it definitely comes into play in the book. It's, It's a fascinating one. It also is very wry and funny and explores those themes of not being who you thought you would be as an adult. (laughs) I love a good book like that. Um, Yeah. Like um, it kind of reminds me of nothing to see here. Oh, Kevin Wilson. Yes. I just finished that yesterday. It's funny that you mention it. Did you cry? I I did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you, did you read that book with your eyes or did you listen to it? I read it with my eyes. Did you listen to it? I I recommend going back and re-experiencing it by listening to it. So if you listen to the audiobook of Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson, the narrator is Marin, Wil- Marin Ireland, and it is one of the best narrations of an audiobook I've heard in a long time. Mm-hmm. It's just so wry, so funny. The book itself is told in first person, and so it already feels very personal and very conversational, but just her delivery of this funny, weird book about children who spontaneously burst into flames is is absolutely perfect. Best delivery ever. I think she won the she won the 2020 Audie that year, the year that she did that uh, for best female narrator. So just another another boost to pick up uh, nothing to see here. And I love that it has kind of a covert queer love story in it. 
Yes. I missed the first time, right? But there's nothing more classic than like boarding school roommates who secretly have a thing for each other. 100%. And one final recommendation, if that is your thing, um, Sirens and Muses just came out. Have you read that one yet? I did. I got to be oh, that's right. Antonia oh, Ingress's conversation right. partner. I saw yeah. that. Oh my gosh. Um, so tell yeah. everyone about Sirens and Muses. Okay, so Sirens and Muses is this beautiful, delightful novel um, set at a prestigious art college and then in New York City during Occupy Wall Street. And it follows these four artists, three students, one teacher, who are all trying to make it in the art world. Two of them are roommates and bisexual women who become artistic collaborators and lovers and... It's just a gorgeous novel about like art and ambition and social class. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, it's it, it's such a good book. It's so well written, so well told. Yeah, I love a novel where it's just like it feels like it had to be a novel. Yeah. That there was no way for it to be nonfiction. It's just so like intricate and all of the threads are like under the author's control. Um, cause it was, I was just constantly surprised by like what was happening next. Yeah. Wonderful way to put it. Well, what is one thing you're looking forward to about your memoir being out in the world? I think it's going to be so fun to meet, to meet people, it's like to meet my conversation partners. Um, I've only met one of them in person before. And so it's kind of magical to like email someone out of the blue and be like, Hey, I love your writing. Like, is there any chance you would be in conversation with me and have them say yes it's just like unbelievable that people are so generous with their time um so I think definitely meeting meeting people that is so awesome and are there um how can we keep up with what your events are where should we find you on the internet sure so I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Emmy Neatfeld and I also have a newsletter which is semi-occasionally and has some great life recommendations in addition to writing stuff. Perfect. All right. We'll make sure to link to those in the show notes. We will also link to all of today's recommended books for all of your queer, messy, uh, lawyerly delights. And of course, we will link to Emmy's wonderful memoir, which you should absolutely check out. Thanks for listening to Blind Date with a Book. Our show is produced and co-hosted by Kristen Evans, Rachel Mans McKenney, and Elena Nicolau. Our showrunner is Rachel Mans McKenney, and our sound editor is Elena Nicolau. Kristen Evans handles web design and newsletter production. Our theme music was written by Alex Bozzi, and our logo was designed by Chelsea Hill. If you like today's show, please subscribe, rate, and review Blind Date with a Book on Apple Podcasts. Ratings make it even easier for other listeners to find us and join the fun. We'll be back in two weeks with a new guest and more books to recommend. Until then, we hope you're falling for the next book on your TBR pile, whatever it might be.